On his way to be inaugurated in 1861, Abraham Lincoln stopped by Independence Hall in Philadelphia and said, I have never had a feeling politically that did not spring from the sentence involved in the Declaration of Independence. I have often pondered over the dangers which were incurred by the men who framed and adopted the Declaration, pondered over the toils that were endured by the officers and men of the army who achieved that independence. I have often inquired of myself, what great principle or idea was it that kept this Confederacy so long together? Virginia, October 19. They're starved, they're beaten, they surrender, these British. So they put on new uniforms. My Lord, I'm tired. I ache to go home to Boston. It's all over now. Seven long years out of my life. 1781. I'll be 41 next month. Revere can be a silversmith again. What am I going to do? There's Washington. God bless him. How much we piled on his back. And Knox, our general of artillery. I wonder if he'll reopen his bookstore in Boston. We're free. It doesn't seem possible that we've won. That we've held together so long. last king, poor George, out of his mind, wandering about his palace like a lost soul. But he was a grand figure once, so splendid in 65. 65. It was a year of anxiety for us. Yes, his majesty was splendid. So was Windsor Castle. And his majesty's favorite is Swan Ship at Kew Gardens. And so was the national debt of 130 million pounds sterling. They boast, these English, of their new empire, which Pitt has won for them in his seven years' war. But who'll pay for it? Everywhere I go, Englishmen seem to think themselves a piece of sovereign over America. Our subjects in the colonies, that's all I hear. As I listen to this Grenville, the king's minister in commons, the bleating shepherd, they call him, I see little hope for us. The king and his Tories mean to enforce their buy-British-only policy that's ruining us. If only Pitt, our friend, were back in power. He and Edmund Burke and Charles Fox strive valiantly for us, for the rights of man everywhere, but to no avail. I'm going home. My fellow Boston merchants have wasted their money sending me here to protest. Ben Franklin's brought me word of the new stamp tax bill. Good Lord. Intercepted by the British. It's unbelievable. 
They're forcing us to Halifax, not Boston. A trumped-up smuggling charge. Judged, fined, prize money for the Navy, no trial by jury. That's justice for you. Boston at last. Can't get the Admiralty Court out of my mind. You never realize what a trial by jury means until they take it away from you. Off for home. My friend and neighbor Paul Revere tells me there's a boycott on. No more buy British. Gloves, expensive gowns. I wonder what my wife will say to that. No more lamb. No more imported beer, she'll say, like those Philadelphians are doing. Paul's persuasive. Tomorrow I ride with him to Virginia for our committee of correspondence. young Virginia lawyer Patrick Henry shocks me with his defiant resolves. George is still my king. But that Virginians should only tax Virginians, this I believe. New York and our first Congress. We meet on Wall Street. Resolved that the colonies should only tax colonists. This too, we believe. We spread our Declaration of American Rights everywhere. What is an American cannot say, but I know I'm no longer just a New Englander. Boston. The kettle is boiling over. Our town meetings swirl with factions. Our Tories would have us obey the stamp tax. That position's impossible to live with. Lawyer John Adams counsels prudence. We must try. But his cousin Sam, that brewer who plunges into violence yet with his radical call for freedom... God knows what that would lead to. Poor wretch. The mood of the cities is dangerous. Trades at a standstill everywhere. Unemployment is spread. I may have to take my boy out of Harvard. To survive is to smuggle. I'm sorely tempted. And I cannot. No one dares to bring out the stamp paper anywhere. I have a new son. But he's not mine yet, legally. I will not buy a stamp for the birth certificate. For any certificate. I don't care how much it will cost me. London. Townshend, whom they call the weathercock, is in power now. Our friends, that eloquent Irishman Burke and Fox, are still with us. Our fight is their fight. Repeal. No more stamps, thank God. Not the king will not let well enough alone. Now they're taxing paper, glass, paint, and tea, and recruiting soldiers. Boston, at Fannel Hall with Revere. The weathercock has thrown us a bone. Rum is cheaper now, but it sticks in our throats. Now they've forced themselves into our businesses and our homes with writs. Writs. Why, they're nothing more than blank search warrants. Let them put us all in jail. We're all smugglers now. We protest. They dissolve our legislatures across the land. We defy the customs officials. We defy the Royal Navy. We defy the King's ministers. 
Royal Troops, John Churchill's famed West Yorkshires, the 29th Worcestershires, the King's Men. We marched with them, fought with them, and bled with them against the French. And now they've come to Boston as policemen. I pray that John Adams has truly persuaded our hotheads to passive disobedience. No one will offer them lodgings in town. They pitch tents on our commons. They commandeer public and private billets under pretext of law. Royals the blood. Now, for the first time, I want a musket in my hands. Officers at my door. A major pitcairn of the Royal Marines. We debate, we plan, we arm, and we wait. Pitcairn has won my trust and affection. But he is still an intruder in my home. I will never accept that. Neither will my neighbors. They're paid nothing, so they hire themselves out for a pittance. Our children mock them. Hey, bloody back. Hey, lobsters for sale. Our unemployed gang up on them in the streets. They retaliate. Sentries challenge you over and over. They harass us everywhere. Don't fire. the colonies to a fever pitch with Revere's etching of the massacre. He will not let it die. Unhappy Boston, see thy sons deplore thy hallowed walks be smeared with guiltless gore. Narragansett Bay, June 1772. HMS Gaspé will raid us no more. They punish us. 342 chests of tea to fatten the pockets of the East India Company and Governor Hutchinson's nephew. Into Boston Harbor, dumped. Into New York's East River, dumped. Charleston, confiscated. The coercive acts, more troops. Boston is now an occupied city. We cannot meet openly. Our sheriffs, our judges, our very juries are taken from us. Philadelphia, another Congress. The carpenters have lent us their hall. Thank God for our friends. Our plight has aroused them to the common danger. Charleston sends money and rice. Brooklyn, 100 sheep. Connecticut, 100 sheep and General Israel Putnam. Resolve, we will gather arms, we will form our own militia. We will collect taxes on our own. 
pray for divine guidance. The king's ministers must come to their senses. Surely Englishmen cannot have forgotten what it means to be free. No reconciliation. Chastisement. They're pushing General Gage. Arrest Sam Adams. Disrupt our provisional government at Lexington. Seize our powder and stores at Concord. April 18, 2 a.m. Gage orders out the elite of his army, his flank companies. The bloody backs bayonet their pet dogs. No alarm must be given, but we know their every move. Revere warns Sam Adams before they take him. We form on Lexington Green, companies minute and alarm. An unexpected volley, Major Pitcairn just 10 yards away from me. Robert Monroe is falling at my side, Jonas Parker. I'll never believe Pitcairn ordered his men to fire. But it doesn't matter now. They've drawn our blood. They're past the cemetery to Concord. It's a grand music. fire. There's no question now who shot first. It's on their heads. They're breaking. Their veterans, the best they have, are breaking. We pursue them. Farmers, merchants, workers, we hound them, we harry them. They stagger into Boston. June 16, we're ordered out to fortify Bunker and Breed's Hill overlooking the harbor. Colonel Prescott and old Putnam are at us through the night to finish the redoubt, the earthworks, and the rail fence. I can hear the little English drummer boys flailing away. I mustn't panic. Three times they come at us up those bloody slopes under that hot June sun. Three times they struggle through the blackberry bushes and over the fences. Our muskets are empty. We retreat. The night brings shattering weariness to us all. I grieve for the fallen. Our Dr. Warren, that wonderfully sunny man. Major Pitcairn will grace my home no longer. And so many, many more. Philadelphia, the Congress once more. Rebellion, the awful realization of it assails us. No time for regrets. The hills of Boston swarm with disorganized militia. Who is to command us all? Excitement today... The chair recognizes John Adams. His nominee, Washington of the Virginia delegation. Hancock is stunned. He expected the job. 
Colonel Washington refuses the $500 a month we offer him. He will accept expenses only. Granted. I have my misgivings about this rich planter. He's only 43. He has little experience. With the general at Cambridge, there's no sleep for us. All is chaos. Officers quarrel over seniority. Nothing on paper, no lists of units, men, supplies, flimsy shelters, no sanitation, no medical service. Cannon, none. Powder, almost none. Ammunition, lacking. Old Putnam is offering a tot of rum for each round of British shot recovered. But it's better than we dared hope. Our people are coming from everywhere to answer the call. The poor and the rich, the young and the old, from the north and the south, from the east and the west, from the mountains, from the farms, plantations, from the villages and cities, Baltimore, Savannah, Salem, from Portsmouth, Charleston, Hartford, and Charlotte, from the colleges, Harvard, Yale, Princeton, King's College, Brown, William and Mary, and still more come. Trappers, runaway slaves to buy their freedom with army pay. From the cricket fields, from the mills, knife grinders and shoemakers, from the printers, teamsters, blacksmiths, paper makers, from the synagogues and churches, Catholics, Protestants, even some Quakers, from the foot-washing Amish, Moravians, French Huguenots, Dutch, Germans, Irish, Swedes, free Negroes, physicians, lawyers, fishermen, chimney sweeps, tinkers. Winter. The siege drags on. Enemy-occupied Boston starves. But the army is taking shape. Our insubordinate, undisciplined New Englanders are beginning to obey orders. Only the general could have done it. He's an inspiration to us all. Enlistments are running out. We plead. The general pleads. But the militiamen leave. They have their families and their livelihoods to think about. Not everybody cares enough. The boycott against the enemy falters. Loyalists are everywhere in discouraging numbers. We've had to put Ben Franklin's Tory son, William, in jail. Thank God for Knox. Precious cannon all the way from Fort Ticonderoga. Other volunteers are coming forth, but we still must start all over again. We're true rebels now. All of us here and in Congress walk daily in the shadow of the hangman. Philadelphia, the Congress, still endless debates, endless objections, endless problems. But above all, John Adams and the Lees of Virginia hammer home independence and union, day after day after day. They stand like a rock, impervious to assault. There is no withstanding them. I have no king any longer. Common sense. The words of that Englishman Tom Paine reverberate through the land now. O ye that love mankind, ye that dare oppose not only the tyranny but the tyrant, stand forth, 
receive the fugitive and prepare an asylum for mankind. Is this then the meaning of our rebellion? At his lodgings at the home of Graff, the bricklayer young Tom Jefferson reached into his mind, his heart, and his soul. Into our minds, our hearts, and our souls. We hold these truths to be self-evident. That all men are created equal. That they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. That among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. That whenever any form of government becomes destructive of those ends, it is the right of the people to alter or abolish it and to institute new government. And for the support of this declaration, with a firm reliance upon divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. Manhattan, New York, July 9. I've rejoined the general. As I stand here in the ebb of the day listening to our declaration, none of us New Englanders, New Yorkers, nor Southerners any longer, but Americans, I most somberly ponder the road ahead. The defeat of Tom Jefferson's attempt in the declaration to denounce slavery troubles me. The full might of that powerful empire, Britain, yet to feel its fist. We can expect the utter destruction of our cities, invasion of all our homes. Savages turned loose on our frontiers. But we have more than our lives or our property to fight for now. Man is not made for the state, but the state for man. This is my faith. Here is the eternal answer to all forms of tyranny over the persons, the property, and the minds of men. Later that night, we hauled down our last king on Bowling Green. We needed the lead for bullets. August, Manhattan. Boston is ours again, but the enemy 10,000 strong occupies Staten Island. His fleet roams New York Bay with impunity. They can strike at us anywhere. Reinforcements from Manhattan to strengthen our defenses at Brooklyn Heights. Grim tidings. They spill ashore near Red Hook on Long Island. We fight for our lives by Gowanus Creek. Flatbush is theirs. Gravesend. New Utrecht. Retreat. John Glover and his Marbleheaders evacuate those of us who are left to Manhattan. No choice. There's no time to lament our ruin this night. We must retreat to Harlem Plains. Manhattan is theirs. I still have faith in our Virginian despite our terrible defeat. Ugly rumors already fly about replacing him. September 16, Harlem Heights. The Black Watch jeer at us. They mock us. This time we attack. We drive them back. I hear no jeering now. No more to hounds. 
We pull back. We cannot risk full battle in our weakened state. September 21. A terrible fire guts Manhattan. General Howe is furious. He orders our young spy, Nathan Hale, hanged within hours of his capture. I hear he died well. New Jersey. We cannot hold Newark. Brunswick. General Cornwallis is like a leech on our trail. Barely 3,000 men left. Our boys are slipping away by the scores. Who can blame them? We exist little more. I cover my naked feet with strips of rawhide from cattle slaughtered this morning. Christmas Eve, just nine miles to Trenton now. Is the game up? We'll know soon. We must win tonight or all is lost. the Delaware now. No smoking, no talking. The sleet has got to our priming pans. The word comes down, bayonets. Trenton, our most joyous Christmas bounty. Three elite Hessian regiments destroyed. Nine hundred prisoners. Barrels of brandy by the score. The general orders them stove in. A pity. But no matter. We can go on now. Paris, 1777. Spring. Glorious news. His Majesty Louis XVI and his minister Vergen are helping us to re-England. Citizen Franklin, our emissary, has the entire court at his feet. They can deny him nothing. Philadelphia, with John Adams at the Congress. First fruits, the Brig Mercury out of Nanton. 364 cases of arms, clothing, and Lavoisier's powder. Like our army, which barely holds together with more spirit than flesh, so does our Congress. John can scarcely exist on his salary. I have a letter for the general. Power to commandeer is now his. It's high time. Prices are outrageous everywhere. Shoes, $5 a pair. Salt, $27 a bushel. Molasses, unavailable at any price. The talk of Congress is our proposed Articles of Confederation. How can a country depend on the collective will of its states? I do not see how it can work. August. Reinforcements for old Granny Gates. Gentleman Johnny Burgoyne has taken Fort Ticonderoga, our Gibraltar of the North. 
and is headed south for Albany. I'm detached for duty with Benedict Arnold. He's a fighter, all right. Our Continentals will follow him anywhere. New York, September 19. What a bloody mess at Freeman's Farm near Saratoga. The British and Hessians fight us like lions. Arnold leads us in a charge at Bremen's Redoubt. We're swept up by his audacious madness. He's hit, but we press on. Capitulation, October 17th. This playwright general, Gentleman Johnny, who's gone to the wars with Mistress and Champagne, surrenders his army. We do not wish to embarrass this brave enemy. We exult in silence. Valley Forge, Pennsylvania, December 18. We pitch winter camp here today. A British deserter from Philadelphia has been taken. He'll not have his boots for long. Our occupied capital is a gay place. Skating parties, theatricals. We're told a Major Andre on General Howe's staff is the most popular wit and ladies' man in town. huddle in our bare huts, in our threadbare patch tents. We huddle at the fires. There is no warmth anywhere. I am numb and want for feeling. I can't get down this bowl of beef soup full of burnt leaves and dirt. Day by day we hunger, grow lame and itch. I vomit half the time. My rags grow foul. Amputation after amputation at the hospital hut until the stink floats upon the wretchedly cold air to assail my nostrils. I'm almost beyond caring. Why do I stay? My comrades, these 17-year-olds who make up more than half our miserable army, why do they stay? Is all hopeless? How defeated Brandywine. The loss of our capital to an enemy who shrugs away the loss of an army at Saratoga. Our Congress on the run, in refuge at York. It's good having Mrs. Washington here. The General's a lucky man. Would that my wife could come too. She writes me she sold the last of our silver. My family will eat again until spring. What then? She's plain spoken, my wife. Sign on again, she says. We'll make do at home. God bless her. A new arrival today. A German who calls himself Baron von Steuben. May this drill master be half what he says he is. We've been deceived by too many of these arrogant fellows from abroad, demanding grand salaries to serve with us. 
I'm still suspicious of this 24-year-old Major General Marie-Joseph Motier, the Marquis de Lafayette from France. At least this aristocrat is different. He's willing to serve without pay. Bless this Steuben. Now we can march and maneuver in ranks of four. Get brigades in and out of the line twice as fast. More to celebrate today. Open alliance with France. It warms the blood. With hope rising again in us, it's good to know we're not alone. Bless these foreigners like Motier, Steuben, the Pole Kosciuszko, and all the others who've given up so much to make our fight their fight. May their blood mingle with ours. This is our strength. Calamity. Newport. Our first combined operation with our French ally is a fiasco. But Chris Green's regiment of free Rhode Island Negroes excites the admiration of us all. They stand against the Hessians like a rock. on end, the war grinds on. Monmouth, New Jersey. Bloody stalemate under a savage summer sun. Chilling cries of British-led savages on our frontiers. The mutilation of our women and children. The smell of charred flesh. The keening of squaws as we burn village after village of the enemy's six nations in the Mohawk Valley of New York. Charleston lost. Our entire South exposed to ravage and ruin. Camden, South Carolina, and another army lost under Granny Gates. Nat Green replaces old Granny. Cornwallis pursues us. Nat has us hit and run with Marion and Pickens and Horry. We hunger. We stagger through dysentery and defeat. Cornwallis harries us. We hit and run. The most foul blow of all. Benedict Arnold's attempted treason at West Point is beyond reason. Poor Major Andre. Ignoble go-between, hanged as a spy. We can grieve for you. Gallant to the end. The trap is sprung. September 1781. Glorious news. Admiral de Grasse and the French fleet has sealed in General Cornwallis from the sea at Yorktown, Virginia. It's a grand opportunity. The general orders all of us south to reinforce Nat Green, Lafayette, and Anthony Wayne who are holding Cornwallis at bay. It will not be easy to shut the gate on Cornwallis. He's a commander worthy of our Virginian. General Rochambeau's French march with us. The Royal Dupont and the Gatineau, the 41st Soissonnais, the Legion Cavalry, Irish Lancers, Poles, on the move at last, all as one under our Virginian. Yorktown, the siege is on. (laughs) 
September 14, anxiety. The French engage the British fleet. De Grasse prevails. The enemy withdraws. October 14, combined assault against enemy redoubts. The Royal Dupont and the Gatineau on the left. On the right, Alec Hamilton and the mixed companies of American Light Infantry. Bayonets. The enemy works are ours. October 19. They are laying down their arms. My Lord, I'm tired. I ache to get home to Boston. It's all over now. Francis Tavern, Broad Street, New York. Farewell, beloved Virginian. Come and take me by the hand, each of you. Peace, 1786. For three years now, since my discharge from the army, I have prospered little. I fear for my family, for the future. Up and down the land, we linger in a depression. Hard money is scarce. Most of our state currencies are an inflated and bitter joke. Newspaper printers accept subscriptions in salt pork. North Carolina businessmen barter for whiskey. Virginians for tobacco. Our national coinage is an illusion. A maze of ninepence, bits, and half-bits. Pistarines, picayunes, and fips. Where will all this end? Our Congress, what can it do? It pleads for money, it requisitions. But which state pays? Which heeds it? This confederation of ours is anarchy, not good government. Only the states can tax. To what end? New York taxes firewood from Connecticut. Agricultural products from New Jersey. New Jersey retaliates. A preposterous tax on New York's lighthouse at Sandy Hook on Jersey soil. The inevitable. Rebellion rocks the land. In Massachusetts, Daniel Shea and his debtor farmers attack our courts and the Springfield arsenal. Insurrection. Violence. Where is justice here? Where is authority? Where is Congress? Where is the spirit that forged our nation? Philadelphia, May 1787. Our land bestirs itself once more. We gather at the state house and toil in secret to fashion a new government. Our Virginian has come to lend us his presence. To have him here to preside over us boys us all. Franklin is with us. Aged though he is, his mind and wisdom are unimpaired. We're a young group with all. Madison from Virginia is 36. Redoubtable and brilliant Alec Hamilton from New York is but 30. We labor. We ponder. We dispute. All our fears, all our prejudices, all our factionalisms, all our frailties stalk our halls. Yet we go on. Too much is at stake. 
We advance and we retreat. We must compromise or we founder. We compromise. We, the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, do ordain and establish this Constitution for the United States of America. Washington has arrived. Thirteen years ago, I had a king. Today, I have a president, a nation, a constitution, and a bill of rights, something every man is entitled to against every government on earth. As I linger here at Valley Forge midst the overwhelming silence which calls out to me so many painful memories, may I, so long as I have yet to live, never again be denied my God, my tongue, or my pen as my conscience guides me, denied the security of my person and my house against unreasonable search or seizure, denied a trial by jury, May I or my neighbors never again be deprived of life, liberty, or property without due process of law, under a government of laws and not of men. To deny or abuse the rights of but one man is to deny and abuse the rights of all men everywhere. May my children and my children's children cherish and protect these rights so dearly won. For the struggle for freedom, for a more perfect union, is a never-ending one. <laughs>